Good morning. I'm going to be reading from Genesis 31, verses 1 through 3. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that our fathers, uh, all that was our fathers, and from what he has out of the fathers has gained his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Alphas may be dismissed, and you may be seated. Thank you, Dave. Good morning. My name is Aaron. For those of you who I have not met yet, uh, this morning, as Dave opened up for us, we are continuing in our time in Genesis. Uh, this morning will be in chapter 31. And it is a known fact that children argue, is it not? Why'd you hit your sibling? Well, because they hit me. Well, why'd you hit him? Because he hit me first. Well, why'd you hit him? Because he called me stupid. Well, why did you call you stupid? Because he called me stupid first. And on and on and on it goes. And a good parent who is present, who is able to step into the scene to do a little mediation, steps in and does some correcting. Knock it off, both of you. It's not just children, though. Husbands and wives, we do the same thing, right? Well, I didn't do this because you did that. Or employers or employees, like, well, I did this because you did that to me. This morning, we will see again that sinners sin. And that God, as a gracious Father, steps into the scene as a mediator. So this morning, we'll see that He is present, that He's sovereign, that he's a protector, that he's a mediator, and he's a gracious judge. So would you pray with me? Father, thank you that we get to gather this morning. Thank you that we get to be submitted to your word. Would you help us to understand it? Would you help us to obey it? Would you help us to worship you because of it? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first this morning we see that God is present. We've already as Dave read, verses 1 through 3. So for 20 years, our friend Jacob has been living outside of the promised land under the influence of his uncle Laban. He worked seven years for his wife, and he was given Leah. He worked another seven years, and he got Rachel, and he stayed with Laban another six years, growing his family, raising his children, growing a uh, not a fleet, of a flock of sheep. Laban's sons start the chapter off with jealousy. Jacob is a wealthy man, and just like Lot and Abraham had to separate, which we saw in Genesis, because the land could not support the two of them, it's time for the separation to happen between the household of Jacob and the household of Laban. But before Jacob and Laban can fight like children, God speaks. God is present in the circumstances. And if you recall, God has not said a word since Genesis chapter 28. I'll remind it to you. 
Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. For all of chapter 30, Jacob thought he was God, acquiring wives, building his family, but God was there. For all of chapter 31, Jacob was having children and growing his family, growing a flock of sheep, thinking that he was God, but God was there. Jacob has 11 children, all of which were acknowledged as a gift of God, through the hand of God. While God was still silent, he was present. God is reminding Jacob in verse 3, I've always been there. I will always be there. And Jacob's posture, as you've caught on in the book of Genesis, is that he is continually wrestling with God, trying to be God himself. And God is gently reminding him, in all that you've manipulated, Jacob, I've been there. Over and over in Genesis, we've seen God come in, step in to help those of his people. It's not a God helps those who helps themselves. That is not in the Bible, church. But God says, I have been with you, Jacob. I am going to be with you. I'm God, Jacob. You are not. And if you joined us this past Wednesday, we were finishing, as Tyler mentioned, in the book of Revelation in our study of Scripture. And we saw in Revelation chapter 1 that he who was, he who is, he who will be is the same eternal God who is always present. And this posture God has towards his people in the past, in the present, will also be the posture that he will have in the future. And while the relationship between Jacob and Laban has soured and deteriorated, God is reminding Jacob that it has not deteriorated at all. That the relationship that God has with Jacob has not changed. God has always been present. Church, you may not see God at work, but He's working. In your victories, in your defeats, in your trials, in your joys, God is present. We have God's Word to remind us when we cannot see that. We have each other to remind us. Think about this church. We continue to tell stories over and over again of God's faithfulness. The faithfulness of God's people that are in this room, many of you. Most importantly, so that we can be reminded that God has worked. And it's a reminder that it's of God's grace, His mercy, that we do not deserve any of it. So God is present. We also see that God is sovereign. We'll see this as He shows up again. We'll continue in verse 4. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where the flock was, and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, The spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, The striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock from your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream 
that the goats had mated with the, white, with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion of inheritance left for us in our father's house? Are, not, are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. Jacob didn't decide to leave because it was the right thing to do. He had to be corrected. Jacob's good father, watching his son continue to make mistakes, says, Jacob, it's time to go home. And so Jacob begins to lead his wives. This is what the men of Genesis should have been doing all along, is it not? When Adam was with Eve, he should have led her. We do not eat from that tree. When Abraham should have taken the initiative God will provide us the son that he has promised. Or Isaac with Rebekah saying, no, no, no. I know that Jacob will be the blessed and promised one through whom the line would follow. Church, God's creation order is that men are to lead. In our homes, in the church, men lead with God's word. It's not because we're better, but God has ordained it. And so let's follow God's word and his direction. And so Jacob's leadership, it starts with recounting the things that God has done and what has taken place. Your father is a bad man. We see in verse 5, the God of my father is good. He's sovereign. In verse 6, he recounts his good resume. I served your father and he cheated me. I'm the good guy, ladies. It was my strength, it was my abilities, it was my cunning. It was a me, 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 my, 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 everything is on me. Jacob is the immature child. He doesn't realize he's saying, your dad treated me like I would have treated myself, like Jacob. He remembers God is present, but he forgets that God is sovereign. As a reminder, it is always about Jacob with Jacob. So Jacob, their husband, is the deceiver, and their father, Laban, is also the deceiver. But who do the wives trust? They trust Jacob's God, not these men. And so as we, as elders and pastors, we try to lead this church, that we hope that you trust us. But most importantly, we ask you to trust God. Trust his word. And if we lead in submission to God's word, that is what you should follow. Husbands, lead your wives in God's word. You can trust that. Men will fail, but God never will. He's present. He's sovereign. But Jacob's mistake is that he did not ask God what he should do. He just started to act. He gathered his wives together. 
And Jacob is no longer a delight to the eyes of, Jake, of Laban. His sons know about it, and they're wanting to take matters into their own hands. He doesn't need to really even state his case of why he should leave. He doesn't need to convince his wives that they need to leave either. What Jacob should have said is, God told us to leave, so let's leave. But a dream of the angel of God appears, and God reminds Jacob, Jacob, you are not God. God's word comes to Jacob not because he deserved it, but because God was gracious to Jacob. The unmerited favor of God came to Jacob. And all of this is a gift to Jacob. His wives, his children, his flocks, as Marty reminded us last week, nothing that this man brings to the table he deserved. But his wives, as another sign of God's grace towards Jacob, were ready to leave and to follow him. In verses 14 to 16, they agree to leave because Laban has treated them like foreigners, like harlots, like slaves for their father's personal gain. We've already talked about it. Jacob was a, or Laban was a bad man. Their father used them but Jacob is now starting to lead them. They're starting to work alongside Jacob. And they say, whatever God has said to you, we must do. You should do that, Jacob. And this is a good example of a spouse pointing her husband back to God's word. Mutually submitted to the Bible, each of them. Allowing their husband to lead, but the lady pointing her husband back to God's Word. And so men, as we point our wives to God's Word, as our church, as we point each other to God's Word, let's point each other to God's Word. Let's remind each other of God's Word, that He is present, that He is sovereign, and as we continue, we'll see that He's protector. We'll pick it up in verse 17. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padan Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates, and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. When it was told to Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed closely after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why do you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with myrrh and songs, with tambourines and lyre? Why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. 
And now you have gone away because you long greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours, and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. And so Jacob is leading his family to Canaan, to the land where he's from, where his family owns land, where his grandparents, Abraham and Sarah, are buried. Laban chases them down, and this is not a happy father sending his daughter and son-in-law out of the church so he can be there to throw rice on them. Laban is rightfully mad, and he has justification to do harm to Jacob, but God has grace and steps in to the picture. The grace of God that Jacob nor Laban deserved. Genesis 31:24. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. This is a proverbial saying, to keep quiet about legal actions against Jacob. It was not silence because, as you'll see, Laban couldn't control himself and he had to say something. Like a good child, wanting to make sure that he's justified, he has to state his case. And in verse 26, it's clear that Laban didn't believe that his daughters could actually leave in such haste from their father. You've taken them away, you've led them away, and you've tricked me. Again, Laban is calling Jacob, Jacob, the trickster, the deceiver. Laban doesn't realize that he's the trickster. He doesn't realize that he's the one that's been doing the deceiving all along, just with Jacob. Laban doesn't, does exactly what Jacob did to convince his wives to leave. It's not my fault. I hit him. He hit me first. These two men can't look past their own noses and see their own de desperate need for God. But God is present. He's sovereign and he's protector. And God knew Laban's heart of hate. But God wouldn't allow Laban to hurt Jacob or take him outside of the counsel of God. God was gracious to come to Laban, but also be gracious to Jacob in the process. And so after the correction, the kids go to the table, right? Arms are on the table, and you hear and you see one of the kids scream and wince. I didn't hit him. I kicked him under the table. These men cannot not sin. It's like telling your young child, don't touch the stove or the outlet. And what do they want to do? They want to touch it. They cannot help it. And Laban is concerned about Jacob stealing his gods. These little idols that would be used to protect their family, their inheritance, or even for fertility. It's pagan. Like you'd see from a tribe in the jungle maybe today. But don't forget that these two men both come from pagan backgrounds. Laban is not a believer. He's not following the God of the Bible. And it should not surprise us when sinners sin. 
that when the world acts the way that the world acts, it should not surprise us. They're sinners. Sometimes we fall into the same situation, don't we not? And we sin. Jacob acknowledges that he was afraid of Laban. He should have been afraid and feared God, but he was fearful of Laban. Jacob should have remembered the words earlier, I will be with you. Jacob should have remembered whatever God has said to you, do. But he didn't. But God is present, God is sovereign, and God graciously steps into the scene again and protects Jacob. Jacob should have remembered the words just spoken, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. God himself protected Jacob, and God himself protects his church. God's word protects us to show us how to live a life of godliness and purity. And like us, Jacob is still growing. He's been reminded that God is present. He's been reminded that God is sovereign. He's been reminded that God is protector. And now we'll see that God is mediator. We'll pick it back up in verse 30. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them on the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my lord be angry and that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt throughout all my goods what have you found of all your household goods. Set it before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. These twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried and I have not eaten the rams or your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. By day the heat consumed me and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I have served you fourteen years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac, had not been on my side, Surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hand and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom you have borne? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, Gather stones, and all the stones, and made a heap. And they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jeger Sedutha, but Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore he named it Galid and Mitzvah. For he said, The Lord watch between you and me. When we are out of one another's sight, if you oppress my daughters or if you take wives besides my daughters, although none, no one is with us, see God is witness between you and me. 
Do you recall from two weeks ago what the name Rachel means? It means you, sheep. The most important sheep that was entrusted to Jacob's care was not being led. He wasn't doing a good job shepherding his wife. He allowed Rachel to steal this Buddha doll or whatever it was and should have reminded her, Rachel, we only follow Yahweh. And his foot-shaped mouth opened too and told Laban that whoever has this idol should die, not knowing that it was his wife, Rachel. And Laban's frantic search through everything that was there shows the importance of these idols to him. He clearly does not worship the God of the Bible. These were the same household idols that Rebekah, Jacob's mom, worshipped as she grew up. But unlike Rebekah, Rachel was not willing to separate herself and give up her idols. She's not moved on from her old sinful ways. And Rachel even joins in the sins modeled by her dad and her husband. She lies. She says it's time, or she says that she doesn't know where they are. It's that time of the month. She cannot get up, and she does not live in truth. She hides in deceit, following the example of her husband and her father have given her to follow. And so the Apostle Paul says this in Philippians 3, Not that I have already obtained this or am perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so church, God calls us to hate our sin, to press toward Christ, to follow God's word, to be holy for God is holy. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to leave the addiction. It's hard to extend forgiveness to the one who's hurt us and wronged us. It's hard at times to follow Christ, but it's worth it. Jesus helps us with it. These are Jesus' words, Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Sometimes it hard, it's hard, but Christ, church, makes it easy. He makes it possible to follow him through his death, through his resurrection. He gives us a guide to follow as well in his word. His words are a gracious reminder, a means for us to meditate, for to mediate for us, dependent on His character. It's helpful for our souls. And after nothing is found in Laban's frantic search, Jacob is now angry. He, 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 he did all this stuff to me. He hit me, so I hit him back. Jacob goes into defensive mode. He makes sure everyone knows his integrity. And Jacob is so bold to say that he is the good party, that Laban has wronged him. These little children, Jacob and Laban, one, act, one bad action doesn't justify another bad action. And even if Jacob is justified, he's living in a sinful world where sinners 
sin. Once Laban realizes that he's in the wrong, Jacob begins to justify himself. Me, 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 my, 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 over and over again. My daughters, my children, my flocks, all you see is mine come from the mouth of Laban. And none of it's his. Laban, since he met this family, has given away his sister, was wanted to be blessed by Yahweh, who has blessed this family. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, Laban would have sent Jacob away and fleeced him for everything. But God steps into the scene again. Verse 42. Jacob recounts this. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Jacob remembers, finally, who is in control. The God is present. That God is sovereign, that he is protector, that God is mediator. If the God of my father had not been on my side, it would have gone worse for me, he says. If God wasn't the mediator, it would have been really bad. And like Jacob, we must remember God's word. Jacob needs to separate from Laban. I'm going to go follow God. You do you. They come up with a plan and they covenant with each other. And Jacob, who came to Laban with nothing, has now taken everything. And Laban initiates this covenant, realizing that he has no say in the matter. And Laban's realizing that he isn't God either. That God has blessed Jacob. And Jacob is accepting of this covenant because he knows who will be with him. Who will protect him. As we just read, the fear of Isaac is the term that Jacob uses to swear by. Oftentimes you would see the God of Isaac, but here he uses fear to signify the name of God. Jacob has never feared anyone, but by the grace of God, he is finally realizing that those who oppose God's will, God will judge rightly. And that is a fear that we do not want to see. God is present God is sovereign, God is protector, God is mediator, and finally we see that God is judged. We'll finish up in verse 51. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his hinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. And early in the morning, Laban arose, kissed his grandchildren and his daughters, and blessed them. And then Laban departed and returned home. Did you notice the two phrases that these men used to swear by? Laban swears by the... God of Abraham and Nahor and their father. Jacob swears by the fear of his father, Isaac. Laban shows us finally where his loyalties lie. And it's subtle. The fear of Isaac is the God of Isaac. Laban says the God of Abraham, which is good, but he also says of Nahor. And Nahor was Abraham's grandfather. We haven't seen him since, I think, chapter 12. 
Nahor's descendants did not worship God. They probably worshipped the moon. Laban has begun to blend the perception of God, the God of Isaac, Yahweh, with the God of his ancestors and being synchronistic. And Laban is showing us that he has not detached himself from his old pagan ways. First with his commitment to his household gods, and now that he would swear by a man and a god that does not follow the God of the Bible. As Jacob goes to the promised land with his promised family, under the presence and sovereignty and the protection of the promise-keeping God, Laban doesn't get it. Laban does not understand the fear of God. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Jacob is finally starting to get it. Laban is the fool now. Jacob is finally starting to understand what happens when judgment comes from God against sin. This man who at one point was lost who was blind, sinful, just like his fathers before him, is starting to realize and starting to experience the grace of God firsthand. In his doubting, sinning, hesitancy, in his deceit, God gives grace and goes to Jacob. Jacob, like you and I, deserve nothing but judgment of God. But that grace that was given to Jacob comes to us today through the promised seed who come through the line of Jacob and through Jesus, the descendant of Jacob. And just like Jacob, we don't deserve that either. God's grace comes to us through Jesus as Jesus came as a physical presence of God, taking on flesh, dwelling with his people. The Apostle John recounts this, And the word of God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was and is present, church. God's grace comes to us through Jesus as Jesus came in the flesh. He died and rose himself from the dead. Never been done before in proving that he is God, that Jesus is powerful. And he encourages us with this in Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Jesus was and is powerful, church. He is sovereign. God's grace comes to us through Jesus as Jesus came to protect, to defeat our greatest enemies of Satan and sin and death. And the presence of sin still here, right? But this power is broken in our lives. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, Jesus was and is protector. God's grace comes to us through Jesus as he came and conquered so that he could mediate for us. Paul says this in Romans 8, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Church, Jesus was and is mediator. And God's grace comes to us through Jesus, as Jesus also came to judge. He came to seek and to save the lost, for God so loved the world that whoever would believe in him 
would receive eternal life. But the Apostle John recounts these words in John 12. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The words that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. That's a God to fear. For those who by God's grace believe in Jesus' death for us on the cross and his resurrection to give us a newness of life, God will be with us just like he was with Abraham, like he was with Jacob, like he is with us. Not just with us, but he will be in us. And we need not fear. But those who don't, there should be fear. So church, God is graciously present. God is graciously sovereign. God is graciously protector. He's graciously our mediator. And he's graciously a judge. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are good. And all that you do is good. God, we thank you that you come to us in grace to give us your son. God, that you are so gracious to come to us and not allow us to continue in our sin. God, you are so gracious to us to give us a newness of life that only is accomplished through Jesus' resurrection. And God, we thank you that you give us your spirit to dwell in us, to help us, to guide us, to lead us, to intercede for us, to encourage us. And so God, we want to respond with singing of praises to who you are, to you, to you because of who you are and what you've done. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.